Hey, y'all, thanks so much for listening to the show. Before we start, quick plug for another show, Up First. It's NPR's morning news podcast. Up First is about 12 minutes long, and it's produced and posted at 6 a.m. every weekday morning. The show makes you real smart, real fast, and I listen every day. You can hear Up First on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, y'all. Sam Sanders here. It's been a minute. Every Tuesday on the show, we bring you a deep dive. Today, I'm talking with two really great reporters about President Trump's foreign business deals and Russia. Adam Davidson is a writer for The New Yorker. He also worked at NPR for a long time. Some of you might know his work from his days at Planet Money. Adam's written two really big stories this year for The New Yorker about some recent business deals between the Trump Organization and some sketchy foreign actors. Also in the mix today, we have NPR's Mary Louise Kelly. She covers national security for NPR, and she has been following a lot. All the spy world and political threads on Russia and Trump, uh, Russia's possible interference in the 2016 election, and any possible collusion with the Trump campaign. The two of them together just make for a really smart and informed view of what is going on with Russia. And specifically from Adam, he talked about how the Russia story and the Trump organization are connected. We'll also talk about how that story has been covered, writ large, and they will give you and me some tips on how to follow all this stuff, this drip, drip, drip of Russia news. All right, let's get to it. Here's me with NPR's Mary Louise Kelly and Adam Davidson from The New Yorker. I think we have Adam on the phone. Hi. Hey, guys. Hey, you know, I don't think we've ever met in person, but I feel like I know you because I love all your work so much. Well, vice versa. I feel the same. Hi, Adam Davidson. It's Mary Louise. Hey, Mary Louise. Um, so my first question, you know, news of the last few weeks has taken the country's attention perhaps a bit away from these ongoing investigations into the Trump campaign, possible ties to Russia, but those investigations are still going on. There's a House investigation, a Senate investigation, and also a special investigator? Special counsel special investigation. Counsel. Yeah, yes. okay. so I'll tackle that one. So Congress, after its traditional summer recess, uh-huh. showed up back in town, and there are multiple investigations going on on the Hill. Yes. Meanwhile, yeah. <laughs> Bob Mueller, who's been named special counsel, is marching on with his investigation. And he's staffing he's, up, right? He's staffing up. He's gaining steam. We have seen um, he's now working with two grand juries, one in Virginia, huh. one here in D.C. Uh, so that's going. We know the FBI raided Paul Manafort's home oh, yeah. over the summer. Paul Manafort, the uh, former campaign then manager. campaign chair of uh, the Trump campaign, uh, briefly ran it last summer, but his name keeps bubbling up. The FBI went went into his house in Northern Virginia over the summer with a warrant, and they came out with boxes of documents. So there's all this there's stuff bubbling on. around. Yeah. yeah, and you know, what I really find interesting, Adam, is that it seems as if Mueller's investigation is moving closer and closer to looking really critically at Trump's business dealings. And you've been writing a lot about that recently and about how if there were some corruption involving Russia to take place... Things like real estate deals would be the perfect place for it. Why is that? Well, there's 
two reasons. So so one of the really obvious reason is Donald Trump was a real estate developer for a lot yeah. longer than he was a candidate for the presidency or a president. But there's another reason why these business deals are really important to Mueller, which is this. It's not entirely clear that collusion, you know, let's say hypothetically we found a videotape of Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin chatting and Donald Trump saying, hey, if you help me get elected president, I will be really good to Russia. It's not entirely clear that that is against the law or what law that is against. Um, There are some theories. There are some areas that that some people suggest Mueller might pursue. But prosecutors really like well-known, familiar prosecutions, laws that have been prosecuted thousands, maybe tens of thousands of times that we know how to prosecute. And real estate scams, money laundering, foreign corrupt practices, these are the kinds of corrupt deals that you might see in, in an international real estate business are exactly the kind of things prosecutors feel comfortable with. So if they catch somebody, say a relative or a staffer of the Trump organization, doing something that's just you know, black and white, clearly illegal in a very familiar way, then they can start flipping that person and getting that person to rat out the boss, which is exactly what prosecutors like to do. So it's both, why do they go after um, real estate and business? Because that's that's where the crimes might be, first of all. Second of all, those are the crimes we know how to prosecute. And we know they're doing this because we see the, the names that Mueller's bringing onto his team, and they're people with expertise in exactly this, yeah. in, in financial crimes and money laundering and prosecuting exactly that type of thing. So skilled at following whatever trail of evidence there may be. That was something that really struck me was Mueller has one Russian speaker on his staff and you know half a dozen or more financial crime specialists. So I think that that alone tells you he's much more interested at this moment in financial crime than he is in, you know, trying to understand what was going on in Russia specifically. Yeah. I don't want you to give away all of your articles about this stuff because all of our listeners should stop right now. Go read those pieces. Uh, They're in The New Yorker and they kind of break down what seems to be some fairly shady business dealings from the Trump organization over the years. And you talk about this concept of willful blindness, that Trump's business dealings and his lawyers and his team should have been more critical about possibly working with folks that could be doing things like laundering money. Why do you think they would be willfully blind to some of these things? Because you outline several instances where some pretty shady characters were involved with Trump properties or Trump branded properties. I, I mean, I have I have some, uh, let me say, strongly evidence based uh, theories. So, okay. the Trump organization goes through a complete transformation sometime around two thousand six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It is no longer a real estate developer as we understand the term. So, a traditional real estate developer buys some land, builds a building, and then sells the condos in the building or the hotel or the office space or whatever. And that's a very specific kind of business. You need to get a lot of capital, especially if you're doing big urban projects. You need to raise hundreds of millions, possibly billions of dollars. So they dropped that model and they dropped it maybe not by choice, but because um, Trump had gone bankrupt many times, his big play into casinos had collapsed and well, multiple and also bankruptcies. Lots of American banks just stop 
giving him money, right? Exactly. All American banks stopped giving him money. And you basically can't be in that business if you can't, you can't get borrow loan. huge amounts yeah. of money. Right. And so he accidentally came across this new model, which was uh, basically franchising his name. So selling his name to people who were building buildings. It's much less risk. It's almost all upside. So you just throw Trump on a hotel or a tower. Exactly. So Sam Sanders decides he's going to open a luxury hotel condominium shopping complex in Rio de Janeiro. I would do a burger and, shop. And a burger shop. <laughs> yes. And and but, you know, let's say Sam Sanders, hard to believe, but it's not the biggest name in real estate, so you decide, <laughs> "Oh, I'm going to get a big name. I'm going to get the Trump name." And so you would call up the Trump organization. It would have been unbelievably easy to get through to Donald Trump or someone else. I mean, almost every developer I talked to said, yeah, I just called the phone and five minutes later, I'm talking to Donald Trump. Now, the thing was, though, the Trump name is not in high demand. There are other names that are in high demand. Ritz-Carlton, Four Seasons, if we're talking about that luxury market segment. So you really don't see Trump Paris, Trump London, Trump Shanghai. Where you see Trump projects going up is... Baku, Azerbaijan, uh, not even Tbilisi, Georgia, but Batumi, Georgia. Um, you see Trump going up in the Philippines, in Indonesia, Panama, Dominican Republic, in Uruguay. Not that there's anything wrong with these countries, but these are developers and projects that are not going to be able to attract an A-list name like the Ritz-Carlton or well, the Four Seasons. And also, as you outline in your piece on the Baku property, these are in places where corruption is just more widespread. And some of the- Where all the deals seem shady. (laughs) Exactly. And then you end up with the Trump name on this tower, but a lot of players in the deal are just shady. Like, briefly tell us how shady this Baku deal was. Because when I read your story, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, so- First of all, Azerbaijan. I mean, I barely knew what Azerbaijan was when I had I to look it up. I was project. like, where is this place? Yeah, a tiny little Soviet republic nestled between Russia, Georgia, and Iran on the Caspian Sea, one of the poorer, more forgotten corners of the Soviet Union. Yeah. It becomes independent, like many former Soviet states in 1992, and very quickly discovers huge offshore oil and gas deposits in the Caspian. And in a very short period of time, this country becomes unbelievably rich. I mean, literally hundreds of billions of dollars are pouring into this tiny forgotten corner of the world. So it quickly becomes thoroughly corrupt. Hmm. However, there's corrupt and there's corrupt. And what people kept telling me is the people that um, the Trumps were dealing with were very corrupt, even for Azerbaijan. So it was public knowledge, literally a Google search would have revealed that their partners were known to be, at the time that the Trumps were working with them, were were at least strongly suspected by the American government of being money launderers for the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. And I was able, with a very little bit of research, um, to find on public websites proof that the Mamada family, that's the family they were doing business with, were highly likely to be a front company for the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. These are the people in Iran who are in charge of getting nuclear weapons material for Iran. They're also the ones in charge of funneling money to terrorists around the world. They're also the ones in charge of helping the regime of Bashar al-Assad in Syria um, 
you know, repress and destroy his people. They are... It's the most elite security team in Tehran. Yeah. Huh. And the Trumps, this was abundantly available information, easily found. And they even, you know, their own general counsel, Alan Garten, told me they knew at least by 2015 that this was the case because there were public press accounts. Now, my view is they could have easily known in 2010, 11, 12, when they were beginning to get into business with these people. But they certainly knew by 2015, which means that, and they did not cut off the deal until December 2016. This means that the entire presidential campaign, Donald Trump was knowingly, knowingly, this is no longer willful blindness, knowingly in business with a money laundering partner for the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. I mean, that fact to me, I find that just shocking and amazing. What the Trump folks will dispute, just to inject, kind of if you're trying to keep track of the big picture yeah. of the Russia story and yeah, what yeah. Trump connections may be, because that's it's a huge challenge. There's so many There's threads, whether you're you know tracking the business dealings like Adam or the intelligence, national security, political threads like I am. There's so many names, so many threads. These investigations keep growing rather than uh-huh. winding down because they keep turning up new stuff and it keeps leading them in new directions. The, the Trump team will push hard at trying to separate out what the Trump organization... Mm -hmm. i.e. the business was Uh doing, as opposed to the Trump presidential campaign, the politics. They want to separate out. There is a central challenge, which is the same guy was running both at the same time. Also, even now, his child who runs the business, I'm assuming he still talks to his dad. Ivanka is still involved in business deals and she works in the White House. Like, it's not, no one thinks that there's been a really clear enough separation, right? There, it is why, one reason why there are so many questions at the moment swirling around people who have a foot in both worlds. Yeah. So you look at uh, Michael Cohen, who mm-hmm. was a longtime attorney for the Trump Organization, moved over to become a Trump personal lawyer and kind of business associate and spokesperson. Um, but, you know, questions recently about emails that he may have sent uh, to Dmitry Peskov, huh. uh, Vladimir Putin's chief spokesperson, huh. raising questions about trying to get a deal done for a Trump Tower in Moscow. Um, at the time he was working for the Trump organization, he since, you know, still continues to you know serve the president. So these are questions that investigators are looking at really carefully going yeah. forward. But I have a question for Adam. Big picture on yeah. your story. You've gone through trying to figure out as much as we can about these business dealings. Do, do you walk away thinking there's a there there? I mean, are you convinced that there is actual fire yeah. and not just smoke? So I, I think the clear there there is that if we go in, in some kind of hierarchy, the Trump organization knowingly did business with people who were knowingly money launderers for Iran. That has nothing to do with Russia. Um, but is still relevant. As it happens, I know of two other Trump partners who have been investigated for possibly being involved with either Iran or other funders of Islamic terrorism. So, and I don't think this, you know, certainly I'm not arguing that anyone in the Trump organization supported um, Islamic terrorism, but rather that business people I talk to who are specialists in foreign corrupt activity, specialists in money laundering, specialists in Iran sanctions, tell me the Trump organization is an outlier. 
um, some of my friends have said to me, well, isn't this how all business is done? No, it isn't. This is not how all business is done. They are outliers. The most generous reading is they were extremely risk tolerant. Interesting little nugget just to drop in, which is we're not the only people who are curious about (laughs) all of these dealings. And covering the spy world as I do... Uh, you know, intelligence services in these countries are yeah. tracking this, and they work closely with Russian intelligence services. They, they they're building dossiers on you know every big business deal unfolding or that that people are trying to have unfold in huh. these countries. So that's, that's you know, if you can ever get even. it's well. If there's something there, there's to, there, to, there that's blackmailable, if there's yeah. a there there, then absolutely. And huh. that's you know one of the central questions that hangs over all of this is you know what what. Who knows what? Dirt. Who knows what? What dirt might Russia have on anybody working within Trump's sphere? Um, If they got something, you know, who knows it? Who has access to it? How might it be deployed? Yeah, absolutely. And and this is a well-known part of how political control exists in the former Soviet Union. This is a very well-documented, well-known phenomenon where basically... Everybody who's very rich in the former Soviet Union has done something illegal. It just that that is how the system works. Practically everybody, and what Putin or the leaders of other former Soviet states do is they compile unbelievably massive dossiers on every significant financial transaction, huh. so that if anyone gets out of line, if suddenly you know this guy who used to be on my side is suddenly thinking, hey, maybe I could be president one day, or maybe I could support an opposition candidate. The very next day, they will find themselves arrested by the financial police saying, oh, you were laundering money. So we know they have these massive databases, as Mary Louise was saying. And we know that even long before anyone thought he had any chance of being president, Donald Trump was a very high-profile American developer who was doing high-profile deals with some very sketchy characters in the former Soviet Union. So the people I've talked to who are experts on how Russian and other former Soviet intelligence work say is it, it is inconceivable that Putin wouldn't have ample access to all the details, to the paper trail. And in fact... As a former um, KGB officer himself who, who once ran the, the successor agency. This is his world. Yeah. This is his world. Exactly. And so all the pieces are there for a very big there there to be. We just don't yet have the definitive here is the collusion. There's no smoke and gun, as the White House will point out over and over. And that gets to one of the central tensions. Mm-hmm. In all of these investigations mm-hmm. underway is the how do you balance being thorough versus being urgent? I mean, that's a challenge in, in any investigation, yeah. including the ones we do as journalists on all kinds of subjects. Um, on the one hand, mm-hmm. you could follow these threads infinitely. One thread needs leads yeah. to another, leads and to another some people murky are, business deal. And, and they're and on maybe Twitter all day, f- just yeah. da, 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 da. it's a lot. Maybe they'll find something that is prosecutable. Maybe not. Yeah. We may never hear. I mean, Mueller is under no obligation to ever share with the public hmm. what he finds or doesn't find. His mission is to look, were laws broken and should some sort of recommendation be made to prosecutors? So far, But it would just happened. be a recommendation. Right. Well, him. I mean, he has the power to indict. He has the power to subpoena. Um, he's, you know, working uh, in his own. He's got yeah. his own offices set up here in D.C. But it's not like Mueller reaches a, a conclusion and says Mueller's not gonna go going to go cuff anybody. Exactly. Um, you know, the, the committees on the Hill have a somewhat different purpose. They're trying to do a public accounting of this. Of yes. What happened? Yes. And try to do it fast enough that it's of some use before 2018. We got another set of elections coming up. If 
Russia is in fact determined to continue meddling in U.S. politics as every senior intelligence official will tell you is happening, as everyone in Russia will deny, but that's a different story, yeah. then what should be done about it? And, and how do you try to fix things in times that it, that it doesn't happen again? All right, going to pause right here so we can take a quick break. We'll be right back with more from Adam Davidson of The New Yorker and NPR national security correspondent Mary Louise Kelly. They have some tips for following and digesting all this Russia news. BRB. Support for NPR and the following message come from Google Cloud Platform. If you're looking to move the cloud, Google Cloud Platform provides security that scales with your business and keeps your data safe no matter how fast you grow. Built on more than 15 years of experience focused on keeping customers safe on Google applications like Gmail, Search, and other apps. With Google Cloud Platform, your applications and data take advantage of the same security model. To learn more about Google Cloud Platform, visit cloud.google.com. Support also comes from Lyft. Reminding listeners that they could be relaxing in a lift ride right now, with their eyes closed, listening to Beethoven, or whale sounds, or a babbling brook, or something else relaxing. Lyft provides rides as relaxing as the buttery smooth voice of a public radio announcer, because riding is just a more relaxing way to drive. Lyft. It matters how you get there. Download and ride today. My question for both of you, I read all the Russia stories. I try to stay current on it. And some days it seems like this is just new and big and entirely uncharted. And we've never seen a thing like this before. But I must be wrong, right? There must be some historical precedent for this. Hmm. You always hear Watergate, but like what else? I mean, you do always hear Watergate because you're talking about a sitting president. In a way, it makes Watergate look kind of quaint. I mean, they broke in and they, you know, see, but that's what's so file weird. cabinets and, you know, as it's like to it, Russian it, espionage and hacking. And if and, this makes Watergate seem so quaint, how is it not a bigger deal? How are Adam's stories? How are your stories not driving all of the conversation every day? Some days it feels like half of the country wants or, or more wants to just kind of be like, oh, yeah, Russia, whatever. You that, know, it feels weird. It's partly, it is such a huge, sprawling, infinite mess of a story. You know, you've just figured out how to pronounce Natalia Veselnitskaya's name. <laughs> oh, that was the, good. The, I had to work on that one. She was the Kremlin-linked attorney yeah, who showed yeah. up at that meeting at Trump Tower. You've just figured that out, and then there's four new names that pop up, yeah. and it takes you in a whole different direction. And there's a point where... Anybody but the most dedicated inside the Beltway criminologist wants to throw up their hands and say, enough. Like, get back to me when you found the smoking gun. I'm done. Well, and that's kind of what Russia wants, right? They want to just make everything confusing. Um, they're very good at making things confusing. I can tell you having reported from Moscow, yeah. um, you, uh, they, I had an experience. I was sitting in the, in the NPR Moscow bureau uh-huh. uh, one night over the summer and was typing away. And the screen started flickering, just going huh. really bright and then really dark. And then um, words were merging. Like The, the formatting of the document was changing. And huh. uh, then my screen just went black, died completely, and was plugged into a power outlet. Yeah. It was a couple of days later, I tried to open a document and it was completely corrupted and messed up and unreadable. And it was a document where I'd been uh, listing contact information for intelligence Officers who I was trying to reach out to. Now, 
you know, weird things happen to documents no matter where you are. Things, you know, computers die. Who knows? So who knows? Was this computer glitch? Was this Russian intelligence? I mean, it messes with your head and you don't quite know. And you talk to people who are based there and they will talk about what it's like to live there. And that that you're always wondering. Um, You know, the other factor when you're asking why this isn't leading the agenda every day is you, you go out into the country and talk to a lot of people and they they are they've turned it off they're convinced that the, the president has convinced them that this is a witch hunt that things are being blown out of proportion despite the millions of resources that federal investigators legal yeah. investigators journalists have thrown at this there still is no smoking gun mm-hmm. and so again come back yeah. to me when you found yeah. one is is the is the, the yeah. attitude of a lot of people i mean the, the difference between now and watergate i think is you know you keep hearing the word institutions in in the Trump administration, that he himself is challenging institutions. And there was nothing in Watergate at the end of the day that challenged the very nature of how the American experiment flourished or didn't. Um, We were able to go very quickly back to um, the status quo ante, what existed before. For me, the closest analog is the very early days of the Republic, the battles between Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton and John Adams. These were deep, fundamental battles over the nature of leadership, Hmm. aristocracy, and they were fought in the ugliest, dirtiest ways. I mean, if you read about Thomas Jefferson's use of the press to Mm -hmm. lie and cheat and try and destroy his enemies through the most crooked ways. And by the way, his enemies were doing the exact same thing, although maybe Jefferson did it more. Um, The reason it reminds me of that period is that it, I think we are touching on a a fundamental turning point in the American experiment. If if you truly understand the world that Thomas Jefferson wanted to create, it is not the America we live in. It it would be an America um, much more of farms and gentry, you know, wealthy white landowners kind of running the show. Adams was in many ways even more offensive. He really believed in the aristocracy in a deep way. And we probably, more than any of them, live in Alexander Hamilton's vision for America. Hence the musical. And thus the musical. Although, as a Hamilton fan for many decades, it's, um, you know, I, I, I knew him back when he was only acoustic. Um, <laughs> but it, it feels to me like that kind of moment. We really are choosing the America we want to live in, and in a deep way. And I think the America that some of Trump's more ardent supporters embrace is just not the America I think most of us thought we were living in. Can I jump in and just, can I jump in and circle us around to a less profound historical analogy here, which is just to say, I've covered national security for 20 years. Uh-huh. I've never seen a story like this. Never. I don't I don't I wasn't around for Watergate. I don't think I don't think any of us were quite old enough for that. But the biggest story of my reporting career up to now was 9/11. Yeah. And the weeks after that, which was just this relentless, you know, talk about, you know, a story that just kept expanding yeah. and it was hard yeah. to keep track of. Yeah. But there was a narrative to that story. You know, there was a bad guy. Osama bin Laden was the clear Villain, yes. and not only America, but the whole world outside of you know his supporters running around in in the tribal areas of Pakistan were on board with that idea. So yes. there was a black and white to that story. And this seems all gray. It's there's so much gray. 
There's so much that's that's murky, and the country is completely divided over who's the bad guy, who's the good. Is is it the press that's the bad guy? Is it Democrats who are the bad guy? Is it the Russians who are the bad guy? Is it Trump who's the bad guy? I don't mean to simplify it that much, but it's one of these things. It's hard to wrap your head around just what the arc of this mm-hmm. story is mm-hmm. as we try to track it unfolding now. Yeah. You know, a year plus in if you if you date the starting point as when we learned the DNC emails were hacked uh, oh, which is yeah. kind of what I go back to which June was what? Of 20, that was June of 2016 I was in Moscow huh. and I got a call from my editor asking will you file from the newscast and I was like oh this isn't a story it's not a big deal and so then... <laughs> so there we go so I hear you Adam saying that like the stakes are really really high right now and I hear you Mary Louise saying that everything's kind of murky as well and it, there's a, lot, a ton of gray area so knowing these two things how does a layperson, someone who doesn't know too much about Russia or finance like me, how do we follow this if we want to stay up on whatever in the world this is? Mm, well, you could go back to Watergate again and say follow the money. Okay. It's certainly something investigators okay. are doing on all fronts, whether in yeah. Russia or in the U.S., looking at looking at the business transactions okay. is is a really good thread through all of this. Yeah. Adam, what should I be looking I, at? I, I would say the main show right now is what's going on in the Mueller investigation. And that investigation is incredibly good at keeping it secrets. I mean, we, we're not seeing leaks out of it, like very few. I mean, occasionally, but very few. But any article that reveals that Mueller did this or Mueller did that, that's a big story beat. You know, for me anyway, that that's the the news alert on my iPhone that I really pay close attention to. I always wonder when I see those articles, Mueller did this, Mueller did that. Does that mean that someone inside of Mueller's team is leaking? And if so, what is their intention, Mary Louise? Uh, not necessarily. Okay. You read very carefully. I read very, very yeah. carefully yeah. when you're looking at an article on the Russia investigation. How is it sourced? Huh. Are they saying, according to a dozen administration officials, that carries a lot more weight. A, you're talking to you know many. Yeah. You're well-sourced. You're widely sourced. Administration official can mean the White House, can mean executive branch, could mean a, a, an investigator. It means if the reporter is being honest, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're not talking to somebody on the Hill, which is where a lot of the leaks uh, are coming from. Okay. Okay. Always, not just this story. <laughs> always, if if you're if you're looking for info, go go prowl around Capitol Hill and, and ride the elevators up and down, um, huh. which you can do. You know, good to know. Whether you have a press pass or not, you can you can go hang out. Brent, there. we're taking a field trip. Where a lot of news is coming from. It's something. Listen, this was this made my week. I'm such fans of both of y'all's reporting. I look forward to more of your work. Thanks so much. All Thank right, man. You. It's a pleasure. Adam Davidson, Mary Louise Kelly, thanks to both of them. We're going to put links to some of the articles that we talked about in this episode. It'll be in the episode data, so you can go check them out. Adam's latest for The New Yorker is called Trump's Business of Corruption. And Mary Louise wrote this really smart piece about getting her computer maybe hacked while she was in Russia recently. The piece is called Reporting from Russia, Is That a Russian Ghost in My Machine? Also, for the Friday Wrap coming at you soon, do not forget to share the best thing that's happened to you all week. Record yourself and email the file to samsanders at npr.org. And, fun news, we'll be taping that show, the Friday episode, from Missoula, Montana this week. I'll be up there for a wedding, and we're also going to talk a lot about the fires happening up that way. That'll be Friday. And, one more thing, if you enjoy the show, and I really hope you do, do me a solid and rate us on Apple Podcasts. That helps new listeners find us. All right? All right. Thank you for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon.